When a person places their faith in Christ, when they come to recognize that they're a sinner, and they recognize and come to understand that there's nothing that they can do to save themselves, but they do believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they have the opportunity to be saved, to come to know Christ personally, to be rescued. And at that time, we come to find out that we are adopted into God's family, the family of God. Scripture says it this way. This is what Paul had to say in Ephesians chapter 1. He said, God decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. That's what he wanted to do. And he goes on to say, and it gives him great pleasure. And when we become part of God's family, we accept a new identity, a new identity. And that's what we've been talking about over the past several weeks. What does it look like? What does the Bible have to say about this new identity? Let me, let me stop for a second and let me say this. How many of you were ever made fun of growing up? And I'm glad I didn't sit down and not look. Boy, I'd have been in bad shape. Called a name. Maybe somebody said some, some negative words that have just sat inside of you and for years you have dealt with those negative thoughts. Um, and I don't know what they, what they may have been, but it's very easy to, to hone in on all the negative junk, isn't it? You remember those things that people speak into you. Words can leave very, very deep wounds, can do immeasurable damage regardless of the age that you are. Um, I know a story of someone that years ago that had somebody in the midst of a classroom setting, they, they really had a, were having a difficult time answering a question, and one of the children in their classroom called them stupid. And here you had a young person that went from being vivacious and loving and, and just outgoing and bubbly to somebody that became fearful, somebody that became uh, withdrawn, uh, somebody that, that themselves became very negative and a very, very poor, poor self-image. Because words can hurt. I wrote something not long ago on a, on a post on social media, and it said something like this, amazing that's, that small little words can have so much of an impact. Stupid, dumb, jerk, idiot, loser, weirdo, ugly, freak, worthless, Reject the lies. Reject the lies. Yet it can be very difficult to reject those lies. And I went on to say, no, that's not who you are. But you're loved, you're valued, you're, you're special, you're smart, you're beautiful, you're confident, you're fearless, and a child of God. It's amazing how just a couple of words can change your whole outlook, isn't it? And that's what we've been talking about here over the, the past little bit is, how do we clarify what it looks like to be a child of God? And so here's, here's Peter, and he's writing to these group of believers in what we know today is, is modern Turkey. And he's saying, listen, guys, I, I don't really know what you may have heard or what you may have perceived or what may be going on, the circumstances you may be experiencing. But let me tell you this. I want you to know that you are special. And so that's where we've been. We've been in this passage of Scripture in, in 1, Timothy, or 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to read to you again 
uh, what's already been read to you one time, but I want to read it to you again to reemphasize the importance of what Peter is saying because it is so easy in life to believe the negative junk it affects you when it should have no effect on your life at all. And so here is what he, what he says, and man, may you just receive this today, is truth for your own life. For those of us that are believers, he's writing and he says, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, look at, look at here, you can show others the goodness of God, for he has called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. As a believer, as a follower of Christ, being adopted into his family, you have been called out of sin. You have been called out of slavery, not only into the light, but to be a light. Hello? Man, God's called us out of the darkness, into the light, not only into the light, but to be a light. And he said, once you had no identity as a people. You ever felt that way? Nobody knows. Nobody cares. Nobody even knows that I exist. And he says, but you have been called out as a people. Once you had no identity, but now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. And here's sort of our focal passage today there in verse 11. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very soul. Instead, he said, I urge you as aliens and strangers. That's the, that's the words there in the New American Standard. So instead of, here it is, as temporary residents and foreigners, he uses the word in the New American Standard, they use the words aliens and strangers. Now, we don't mind being different as long as there's some other people that want to be different with us. You with me? I mean, we don't like standing out. We like some other people. If we're going to be different, we want to have a crowd of people around us that want to be different as well. We like being part of the in crowd. So if the in crowd is different, we don't mind being different. We're terrified of being too different, though, and being left to stand outside so all the focus is on us. But here it is. That's what God is calling us to do. That is what God is calling us to be. And so here's Peter addressing these people, and he's saying, listen, here they are as believers living in a different culture, and it wasn't easy, and they're struggling and they're wrestling, and Peter's saying, listen, man, I don't want you to get too comfortable. I don't want you to get too satisfied or too settled because you are different, and I love that word aliens, aliens. You mean to tell me there is such a place as, what, is, what do they call that? Uh, that secret place, like, what do they call it, 57 or something? Area 57. See, you know about aliens. You've been studying them. E.T., phone home, men in black, little men with big heads and big eyes and green. So you're with me. But I, I have to believe that probably wasn't what Peter was talking about. Or maybe he saw them too. I don't know. Well, what Peter was saying was this, the world in which we live is our home, but on the other hand, it's not our home. It's our home, this is our home, but on the other hand, it's not our home. 
The Bible teaches us in the beginning that God created the heavens and the earth and everything that was in it, and God created man. He created man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed air into his nostrils. And not, God not only created man, but he also recognized that man didn't want to be alone. It wasn't good for man to be alone, so he created woe man, right? Woe man. It's been down there ever since that time. Here it was, God had given them specific instructions on how to live, but you know what? Adam and Eve didn't, they didn't like that. They wanted to do their own thing, and so they, they did what? They turned their back and they walked, they walked against God. They rebelled against God, and there was a price for that sin. The Bible tells us that that price not only affected them, but it affected all of us, all of mankind. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 said, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and it brought forth death. So death spread to everyone. Man's fellowship with God was broken, but not only was man's fellowship with God broken, but all of creation itself was affected. Death became a reality. Creation was impacted. I love what Romans chapter 8 has to say. When against its will, all creation was subject to God's curse, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right until the present time. Man's sin not only wreaked havoc on man, but it also wreaked havoc on everything that God had created. It's broken. We live in a broken world. You wonder why things happen in this world. It's because this world we live in is broken. But there's coming a day when creation itself will be transformed and it will be liberated. A time when this world, which is filled with sin and known for death and it's known for decay and it's known for suffering and it's known for, for sickness, man, all that's going to be done away with. It's going to be done away with. And the Scripture teaches us that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth that God's going to create. No more sin, no more sickness, no more death, no more suffering, no more tears. Revelation chapter 21, John says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth from the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people, and he will live with them, and, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them, and he will wipe every tear from their eye, and there will be no more death and no more sorrow or crying or pain, and all these things are done forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new everything. And then he said to me, John, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. So in a sense, this world is our home, yet in another sense, this world is not our home. We're just temporary residents awaiting a new heaven and a new earth that God is one day going to provide. Now, he's not saying we're tourists. It's not what he's saying. Man, listen, we're going to pick up and we're going to go to another place and we're going to celebrate and we're going to experience all the wonderful things. You know, I wonder how many people are headed to Orlando for spring break. All the Mickey Mouse ears that will be purchased. You've ever been there, you know what it's like. I mean, I've been there and I'm thinking, man, how in the world can somebody have so much money to buy so much stuff? Because I know it's got to cost a fortune. You know, they've probably saved all their life to have this one vacation. And, and Peter's not saying, listen, you're not a tourist. 
You're not just here enjoying the sights and the sounds of, 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 of what the world is like. And he's also not saying you're not an immigrant. Some of you may have had grandparents or great-grandparents or you, you yourself have moved here. And now you call America your place. He's not saying that you're an immigrant. He's not saying you're a tourist. <laughs> the message puts it this way in 1 Peter 2, 1. It says, friends, this world, or the way in which it is now, he said, it is not your home, so do not make yourselves too co cozy in it. Man, I love that. It's a great way to explain. Man, listen, hey, the, this world, nope, it's not your home. Not your home. So don't make yourself too cozy. Don't get too comfortable. So the world in which we are is where we belong, but then also it's not really where we belong. But for right now, it's where we belong. Are we tracking on the same line? We're here. God's placed us in the middle of this broken world. Listen to this. As a light amidst the darkness, there's a purpose for us as his children to be a light. And until Jesus returns, God has placed us here to be a beacon of hope, to point others to him. That's a responsibility. Man, you're just not here just taking it easy. you got a responsibility. There's things that need to be done. There's things that need to take place. And I also love the idea of what Peter says here in reference to a battle that's going on, a war. Look at what he says there in verse 11. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners, as aliens, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war within your very souls. Now, I'm going to take a break for a second. I want you to turn over to the Old Testament. I want you to turn to the Old Testament, to the book of Daniel. Because as I was reading this, man, I felt like God just said, man, this is the story I want you to tell. Because this is it. And what you're going to see today is you're going to see you're going to see, I think, this lived out here, what Peter was talking about. We're going to see it in full light today. Because here's a story of some, some young men, Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Michelle, Michelle. And we're going to look at that story because I think it, it, it is so fitting. And there's some things here I think that we can look at that are, that are so appropriate as we tell this story of what it's like to be in the world but not of it. <clears throat> So let me give you a little bit of a background. So you, you, you have these, these guys that are in and around somewhere around 600 BC. Um, there's a king by the name of King Nebuchadnezzar who was king of Babylon who comes in, which is now modern day Iraq. He comes in and he besieges Jerusalem. He pillages Jerusalem and he, and he tears up the temple. Um, all of this had been prophesied prior to it taking place. So it was like God saying, listen, obey me, or guys, listen, these things are going to take place. You don't want these things to take place. But you know what? We have a hard time obeying God sometimes, don't we? You ever knew you did something you knew you shouldn't do, but you did it anyway because you just wanted to do it. You had to experience the consequences of that. So here's Nebuchadnezzar. He comes in. They end up exiling or taking out these um, the people that they could. They exiled them to Babylon. They left behind the, the poor. They left the crippled behind because why in the world bring them to Babylon and then have to take care of them? So they left those people behind to take care of themselves. But then in the midst of it, what ended up happening is, is they took the king ordered for some of the best and the brightest and the strongest to be brought to the king's palace so that they could be trained. Well, Daniel, Hananiah, 
uh, Azariah and Mishael were four of those ones that they brought to the king's palace to be trained. And so I want to pick this story up in Daniel chapter 1, and I want to read it to you, and I want to look at this to see what it has to say. And, and I want us to, to just really just focus in on this today because this is so appropriate as we talk about where we are today as a nation and as believers. So here we are in Daniel chapter 1, and this is what scriptures tell us. During the third year of King Jehoiakim, now, let me see if I can tell you a little bit about Jehoiakim. Um, Jehoiakim would have been a king of one of the southern, of the southern kingdom at a point in time. His father would have been a good king, but Jehoiakim was not a good king. Matter of fact, Jehoiakim really wasn't his real name. His real name was Eliakim. He was given Jehoiakim by an, an Egyptian king who gave him that name. So Jehoiakim was not following after the ways of the Lord like his father did. We find out in the scriptures there were zero kings that were in the, in, the, in the northern kingdom that followed after the Lord, but in the southern kingdom there were eight kings out of the 20 or so kings that there were. Jehoiakim was not a good king. He was a bad king. So during the third year of his reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it with his armies. The Lord gave him, this is very, that's a very important, the Lord gave him, he didn't get it himself, but God allowed it to happen. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah. When Nebuchadnezzar returned to Babylon, he took with him some of the sacred objects from the temple of God, and he placed them in the treasure house. So it would be like somebody coming in here and, and grabbing a bunch of things that were really important to us and taking it over to their place. It's almost like, eh, see, I'm better than you. You can't do anything about it. So it says in verse 3, Then the king ordered Eshvenaz, who was in charge of the palace officials, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and the other noble families who had been brought into Babylon as, cap as captives. Select only strong, healthy, good-looking ones, like John Humphrey. Um, listen, your wife gave me $5 to say that. I just want you to know. I tried to get some other your wives to pay me, and they wouldn't do it. So I just want, John, you stick out today. So good-looking young men, he said, make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good sense. Now, that's very important. I know people before that have good book knowledge, but they as dumb as a brick when it comes to common sense, okay? So he says, make sure that, they're, that, that they, have, they have good sense. Let's just focus on there for a little bit. And have the poise needed to serve in the royal palace. So these were special guys. Teach these young men the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily ration of the best food and wine from his own kitchen. That sounds like a great place to be. So they're going to feed them the best. They were to be trained for a three-year period, and then some of them would be made his advisors in the royal court. Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. Now, listen to me. This is important. Really focus in on this. So here's four men, four young Jewish men, now in a different country, now in a different culture, by the way, that didn't believe in Yahweh, didn't believe in God, all of a sudden, their identity as Jews and their belief in God was challenged. And so here's the question. How would they respond? What would they do? Everything that they knew up until this point, their identity was challenged. Now let's fast forward. We're living in a world 
where our Christian heritage, our faith in God, our culture is being challenged on every level. Think about that. It ain't you. It's not your mama's America anymore, people. It's not. It goes on to say in verse 7 there in chapter 1, the chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. So they're trying to take away their heritage. There's a reason that heritage has its name, by the way. So they're going to try to remove their heritage. And one of the things that he, one of the ways that he wanted to renew it, uh, remove it was by giving them a new name. Daniel would now be called Belteshazzar. Hananiah would be called Shadrach. Mishael would be called Meshach. And Azariah would be called Abednego. So I want you to look at this, what's happening. So they're going to take them, take them out, take them across the border in a different culture, a different country. And one of the ways, one of the things that they're going to do to, to, uh, to acclimate them is they're going to change their name. Here they are, followers of God, and their identity is going to be challenged. One of the first things that they were going to do is try to rename them. I want you to think about that for a second. Culture will try to change our identity from who God has made us to be and who he wants to be to who the world wants you to be. Sandy Jones, the world is always going to be knocking on your door saying, Sandy, Sandy, this is who you are. This is who you are. No, it's not who you thought you were, but this is who you are. And that renaming is only an assault, not only on your future, but the future of your children and the future of your children's children. I want you to think about that. Because it's so easy to buy into the lies and throw away your heritage. Satan will do anything he can to try to destroy your spiritual heritage. My children are named Caleb after the scriptures, Caleb and Joshua, strong and courageous, strong and courageous. Abigail, our first, my father's joy, and she reminds me of that very often. <laughs> Abby's not here, though, so Anna's here, so Anna's my favorite. That's what I tell Anna. Anna's my favorite. <laughs> but Anna Grace... Her biblical name, it means God is gracious. We thought we were done with two. God blessed us with the third one. God is very gracious. Every one of our children have biblical names. Abby, Caleb, and Anna. They all have significant meaning, not only to, to, to them, but to us. They're part of their heritage. And, and I want you to, to look at just a second what their names were in Hebrew and what their names would become in this new culture in Babylon. So let's look at Daniel. Daniel to start off with. In Hebrew, it meant God is my judge. I answered to God and him alone, and they renamed him Belteshazzar, meaning Bel's prince. Bel was a name that was given to gods that were worshipped in that region. It was a title, and the name chain was an attempt to glorify the pagan gods in opposition of the one true God. It was a misrepresentation of who he was as a young man in his Jewish faith. Um, Hananiah, 
means Yahweh is gracious in Hebrew. What an amazing God I serve. The Babylonian name that was given to them, Shadrach, command of Aku. Aku was the name of a Babylonian god of the moon. Michel, Hebrew, who is like God? In other words, God, there is none like you in all of the world. There was a confidence in God, but his name was changed. Listen to Meshach, meaning who is like a coup, or I am despised and humiliated. From a thought process of being courageous to one that was being a coward. From confidence to a person to a young man that would be timid and fearful. I'm reminded of the passage of Scripture in 1 Chronicles chapter 17 where it says, O Lord, there is none like you. We have never even heard of another God like you. God is glorious, and he alone is worthy. The name Azariah, in Hebrew it means Yahweh has helped me. I know that God is personally involved in my life on an intimate level. They wanted to change his name or did change his name to Abednego. It means servant of Nebo, Babylonian God of wisdom. <clears throat> I want you to write this phrase down because I think it's really important. As culture changes, we must remain grounded and remember who we are. As culture changes, we must remain grounded and remember who we are. How many times over the years <clears throat> have I seen people that have grown up in church, that have been involved in church, that something take place in their life and all of a sudden they disappear because they forget who they are? They face an identity crisis, and all of a sudden, Satan begins to whisper in their ear, whispers in their ear, because he wants them to accept a new identity and forget whose they truly are. Look at verse 8, what continues to happen. But Daniel was determined. That word determined, he'd made his mind up. He was resolved. Daniel was determined made up his mind not to defile himself by eating the food and wine that was given to him by the king. He didn't care what everybody else was doing. <clears throat> he didn't want that to affect his life and his heritage. He goes on to say he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. You can also write this down. Culture will try to not only rename us, but culture will try to tame us tame us, to, to tenderize us, to desensitize us. You know, it's not that big a deal. I guess I can go along with it because everybody else is doing it. You ever been in that situation? Something that at one point in time you thought was wrong, you, you held on to, you thought, man, I don't need to do that. And all of a sudden, because everybody else was doing it, you, you sort of leaned in and, and you started to do it. The crowd is not always right, and it takes an awful confident person to stand against the tide. You've been to the beach before, and the tide runs against you? If you really want a dangerous situation to take place, just give in to the tide. Sometimes you've got to fight against it, and you've got to lean in. You've got to lean in to that. And instead of watching and looking what others are doing and how they're living, Instead of picking up the cues that the world is giving us, what about, 
What about as a believer and a follower of Christ, leaning into what the Scriptures have to say, leaning in and listening to the Holy Spirit? How many of us understand our true identity in Christ and are resolved to live for Christ and Christ alone? In verse 9, now God has given the chief official great respect for Daniel. But he was alarmed by Daniel's suggestion. My Lord, the king has ordered you to eat this food and wine, he said, if you've become pale. If you become pale and thin compared to the other use of your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded for neglecting my duties. In other words, man, look, I, I don't know if you are worth my life. Daniel just didn't rebel against him, though. He was respectful. He was respectful. Daniel talked it over with the attendant who had been appointed to the chief official to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. And here's sort of the plan that they came up with. Test us for 10 days. Many times when you see the word 10 mentioned in Scripture, there's a testing that's involved. The Ten Commandments, the testing of our faith. The tithe of a 10% that we see in Malachi, a testing of our trust in God to be our provider. Also in the book of Revelation in chapter 2, a testing that took place when the believers were, were put in prison for 10 days. And here, in the light of our culture, this is what I can promise you. You will be tested. We're going to be tested. That while we're here on this earth, while we are aliens, and while in this, this setting that we are, while we're in the world, but not necessarily of the world, we will be tested. And Daniel says, test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. He goes on at the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's rich food. Then you can decide whether or not to let us continue eating our diet. So the attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion. And they tested him for 10 days. How do you respond when those times of testing come? What choices do you make in response to the testings? Because not only does society or culture want to rename us, they want to tame us, but they also want to claim us. And there is a battle. And how do we respond in those moments of time when our faith is put to the test. What will happen when one day you are the only one that's standing and everybody else is given in? What happens? See, when I was growing up, regardless if you went to church or not, there was an acceptance of Christianity. There was a respect for Christianity. I have no recollection of all of any teachers in my life speaking against Christianity or against Jesus. As a matter of fact, I remember being in the classroom, and every morning it was either the Ten Commandments or it was the Lord's Prayer, and every morning we, we said the Pledge of Allegiance. That was just the way it was. Do you think that our classrooms this day and time are any different? We are under attack every day. Christianity may have been acceptable in America, going out the door. Every day, 
we're being tested. And there is a battle that's raging. And how will we respond in faith when Jesus isn't as popular as he once was? What happens when you're, when all of a sudden it's not just, well, you can't do this. What happens when all of a sudden there's an abuse that takes place or there's a jailing that takes place or even we have to be killed for our faith? In the area that I'll be traveling just a little bit later on this month, there are people that have not only suffered for their faith, they've lost their lives. They've not lost their jobs. They've not been ridiculed, made fun of, but they've lost their lives. Just in one incident last week, there was a pastor and his wife. They were beaten. They were poured gasoline on and set on fire. And yet we think we've got it tough because the air may not be working. How will we respond when our faith, those things that we say that we believe, is put to the test? I was talking to one of my kids the other day after they had the lockdown at school. We were just conversing, sort of doing a little bit of a debriefing because it was a really difficult time for students. Afterwards, it's not that big of a deal, but during that moment in time, it was pretty rough. And as I was doing a debriefing, I asked the question, how would you have responded if it would have been real? And they responded, oh, Dad, I, I would have said I believed in Jesus. I said, you would? And said, yeah. So I've thought about it a lot. I never had to think about that when I was growing up. Probably some of us, most of us as adults, you've never even considered what it would be like to be persecuted for your faith. And yet every day our faith is under fire. Daniel goes on to tell how things ended up. He said, and it says here in verse 15, at the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and being better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to to interpret the meaning of visions and dreams. Because of their faithfulness and obedience, God blessed them in a supernatural way. And then he goes on to say, when the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Bishel, and Azariah. So they entered into his royal service, Whenever the king consulted them on any matter requiring wisdom and a balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in the entire kingdom. So i got two questions for you. Two things that I want you to consider, I want you to think about. As a temporary resident, as a foreigner, as an alien in this world that's here, yet not here, but you're here for a period of time, question number one, will you be a world changer or will you be changed by the world? Simple. Will you be a world changer or will you be changed by the world? Will I change the world or will I be changed by 
the world? Will I set the culture or will I reflect the culture? Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, even though they were taken, listen, they were taken from their homeland. Their faith in God was challenged. Even though all of that, they had to cross the border, they didn't give in. They stood strong amidst the opposition that took place. When they crossed the border, they didn't leave Jesus behind. How many of us leave Jesus behind every Sunday morning when we walk out those doors? I thought about that. How many of us pick up our faith in God and when we walk out on Sunday, we leave Jesus on the inside? When they ended up in Babylon, they didn't lose sight of who they were or whose they were. But how will you respond in the midst of the opposition? How will you respond? How will we respond? How will I respond in the midst of the challenges that come our way? Will I be a world changer? Or will I be changed by the world? Second question, second thought. Where will I get my identity? Will I get my identity from what somebody else tells me, what, what, what the world tells me, or will I get my identity from what the Scriptures have to say? Whose approval are we really seeking? It's a gut check. Here's where the rubber hits the road. Who are we trying to impress? Who are we living for? The realization is that everything this world offers is nothing but temporary. It won't last. And Peter says, listen, guys, recognize you're aliens, you're temporary residents, you're foreigners, you're just passing through, you're not tourists, you're not there just to enjoy the show, to be on vacation. You're not just there as immigrants, but you're there for a period of time. Why? Because I've got a purpose for you. I've got a purpose for you. And while you're here, no, it's not your final resting place, but while you're here, I want you to be about the Father's business. I want you to be an effective witness for the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And so, Two questions. Will you be a world changer? Will you be changed by the world? Will I receive my identity from what God has to say, or will I take my identity from what others have to say, the world has to say? And so here's another question, a last question. Suppose you were to die today, do you know where you spend eternity? What would the answer to that be? Have you publicly identified yourself as a Christ follower? I didn't ask you if you were wearing a cross around your neck. I wasn't not asking you if you've got a Christian T-shirt. I'm not asking you for sure, and you know this, that you've got a bumper sticker on the back of your car. It's not what I'm asking you. But I'm asking you, are you a Christ follower, and have you publicly made that decision to declare your faith known to the world? If not, why? Why? I wear a wedding band on my finger, on my little pinky finger, because my other finger's too big these days. And this wedding band represents that I'm Meredith, and you can't touch this. <laughs> Baptism for the believer is 
You can't touch this. I'm Jesus's. I'm a follower of Christ. I'm in this world, but I'm not going to be of this world. I'm just a temporary residence. I'm an alien, just a passing through. But one day, I'm going to be with my heavenly Father. But while I'm here, I'm going to be about his business. Being a light, a beacon to all the world. When people see you, do they know that you're different? Or do you just blend in like a chameleon? That's an uh-oh, isn't it? I want us to be different. Different. Because we are different. I you to bow your heads with me today. For those of us that are in this room today, the, the reality is this, God, you've placed us here in this world for a season, for such a time as this, for us to be able to have an opportunity to be a beacon of light to the world around us in the midst of darkness to point others to you. My prayer is that all of us would recognize the important role that we have as your children to live in your identity, to be that beacon of light, to recognize that we don't have a lot of time that there's only for a season, a generation that you've given that, us the opportunity to have influence. Father, allow us to do that and to do that well and do it respectfully. I, I want to be a man like Daniel. God, that, that even though they were moved out and, Father, they were brought into another culture, they didn't give in. They were respected by those around them. They were respected, Father, because they could see Jesus at work in their lives. May that represent our lives. And Father, I pray for those of us that are believers that when we walk out this door, that we wouldn't leave our faith at the door. We wouldn't leave our relationship with Jesus at the door. But Father, we would take him with us wherever we go. There may be some here today, though, that have wrestled. Some that have claimed Jesus is Lord. But for whatever the reason, they've fallen away, even this morning. Father, they may want to just come and meet with one of our overseers and just have prayer. Overseers are going to be coming. And, and there may be some of you that are here today to say, man, listen, I've just gotten off track. I need to ask the Lord for forgiveness. I need to be a bolder witness for my faith. There may be some here that are like that that are saying, Lord, would you, I just need to go and I, I, want, to, I want to pray with somebody today and I just want to repent. Jesus, I want to be your light in the world. But there also may be some here today that don't know Christ, that have never trusted Christ, that have never come to the place of realizing that they need a Savior. They don't understand their sinfulness and their brokenness. The fact that Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sins, he was buried in a tomb, literally buried in a tomb, but he was resurrected. We're going to celebrate that resurrection in just a, just a, a, a couple of weeks. But there may be someone here today that says, Man, listen, I don't understand it all, but this is what I do understand. I'm a sinner, and I want to trust Jesus. I want to experience this new life. And so you can even come this morning to meet with one of our overseers to say, man, I want to trust Jesus. Maybe you're here today just talking about baptism and public identification. You've, you're a Christ follower. You're sold out to Jesus, but you've never been baptized. 
you're fearful of that for whatever the reason, or you've just fallen to the side. Man, I challenge you even today to come forward to say, I want to declare my faith in Christ Jesus. I want to be different. I want Christ to use me. I want others to know that I am a Christ follower. And so even this morning as I pray, I want to pray for those that are believers. Father, that we'd be bold witnesses for you, for those even today that would need to repent of maybe what their actions of the past to say, man, I, I want to be a bold, I'm a believer, I'm a follower of Christ, but I've not been living the way I need to be living. I've sort of, I've sort of bought into the new name, a new identity. I'm not, I'm not living for, for Jesus as I should. Maybe you need to come today, or maybe you're here today, you don't know Christ. I want to pray for you. Father, what, a, what a, an awesome opportunity it is for us to gather in a place like this. May we be reminded of who we are, whose we are, and the responsibility we have to live. Not to become too cozy or too comfortable in this world, but to Jesus, to be a beacon of hope for you. May we do that. Father, bless us now as we as we uh, just just leave and we walk out these doors, may we be your influencers. May we be your impactors, your ambassadors for Jesus. I pray for protection on our team that will be in Haiti and for all the activities that they'll be involved in. Father, I pray for missionaries around the world that are experiencing persecution and difficulties because of their faith. Would you hold them strong in those times? Continue to use us as a church, Father, to be your people living for you at this time, in this place, in this world. That's what I'm asking today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.